Greetings, everyone. I'm excited to welcome Tony Holbein, CEO and co-founder at Growblocks, to the show today. Tony, welcome. Thanks, Ben, for having me. And uh, hi, everyone. Hello. Well, thanks for being here. Let's dive right in. Tell us a little bit about your background. Yes. So um, I think my background starts like 10 years in SaaS, uh, really working kind of in this industry, always software. And uh, I didn't know it back then, but what I was doing in the very early beginning is actually called revenue operations, right? I kind of did some sales operations. Then there were a couple of other teams that wanted to Tony as well. Um, and I basically started like, hey, we should be all working together. That doesn't make sense that everyone reports to their silo leaders. So kind of we, we combined the whole thing and made it revenue operations. Um, I did that for a really long time, uh, spent some time actually in the US, uh, built the US uh, office as well uh, for three years and uh, accumulated a couple of more teams in the process. And then, I don't know, suddenly became CRO of the organization. And I think we were at like 15 million AR at the point of time where I kind of took over. And when I left as a CRO, this was then after the exit and, you know, a little bit into this was around 50 million. Um, then I jumped into, you know, the next opportunity, uh, also in by the way, I'm from Denmark, Copenhagen, right? So it's kind of that's that's where I'm from here right now. Um, and um, was another SaaS play, uh, a little bit different industry, you know, different segment. Um, but within 18 months, we we actually were also able to exit that thing, right? And in both cases, CRO. In both cases, the full spectrum, so marketing, sales, CS, revenue operations globally, actually, and. And really, you know, and this is, you know, almost the lead into then what I'm doing now, Groblox, uh, founding this, uh, really, this is a way of, uh, you know, me taking my revenue ops background that I apply to the CRO job, very data-driven, very analytical, very, you know, numbers and stuff, um, and trying to uh, build this into a product to help other folks uh, get better and, you know, growing their revenue, right? So, now, maybe you kind of have a different frame around this in a second, but that is kind of the continuation of that story, if you will. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Your experience in revenue operations, maybe before it was called, even called RevOps, uh, yes. now now founding Growblox. So yeah, let's take a moment. Tell us about the products and services that Growblox offers. Yeah. So um, I think the the way we, we the way we kind of got to this point was actually the realization that um, in order to be data driven around your go to market, uh, you will end up relying on a couple of different awkward tools that need to stitch together in a nice way, right? And, you know, one obviously is going to be Excel spreadsheets. You will have your modeling there. You will have your understanding. Hey, this is my, how my funnel looks like. And you need to build this thing out, right? And this really then for us back in the day came after the realization that it's not just account executives times quota, you know, equals your revenue plan. There's some more stuff to it, right? So you have your Excel spreadsheet, then you take some of that stuff, put it into your BI, you want to track it there. You want to monitor it there. You want to see where you're going off potentially. And then at the end of the day, you're going to put it into slides because, you know, your VP of sales never logs into Looker. And the only thing that he or she sees is this, you know, six by 19 or nine by 16. I always mix it up, uh, you know, slide formats, other dashboards and so forth, right? And you're kind of looking at this whole market and we realized, hey, wait a minute, uh, FPNA kind of solved that for the finance function, right? Uh, uh, spreadsheets, budgets in spreadsheets, every CFO feels super at home in a spreadsheet. Then obviously you want some more governance around it, some more dashboards, and then you want to push it out into the board deck. FPNA does that really well. Uh, what we found out is that FPNA is um, not so great at, um, and maybe this is to a degree because I'm not fully educated, um, is actually modeling the funnel, kind of, you know, modeling your PL and your cash flow and all of that stuff. Great. 
uh, but modeling your go-to-market, not so great. Um, and basically kind of then the realization was like, okay, wait a minute. Uh, if there's such a massive market for FP&A on the, on the finance side, taking this away from spreadsheets into, you know, proper format, then there must be the same for revenue actually. And, you know, this is, this is, you know, in a, in a nutshell, uh, what we are delivering to, uh, to our customers. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah, because I came up through the ranks of FPNA, and you see at larger orgs, you'll have dedicated FPNA resources just towards that sales and marketing function where they might dive into that. But other places, maybe no FPNA or one FPNA resource. And yeah, they don't have the time to dig into your lead funnel, your pipeline funnel, and, and crunch all that pipeline data. No, absolutely. And I think I think it's, you know, whether or not you put it into, under revenue operations, sometimes then it's called, you know, revenue strategy, or if it's a commercially minded FPNA person, at the end of the day, um, the tools that those folks are going to be using is an Excel spreadsheet, right? Um, and and especially, and now kind of overlaying this between revenue and finance, uh, so the commercial part and the finance part, um, you know, CFOs feeling at home in spreadsheets, right? So it's it's also, and I'm, I'm you know, joking about it, but I do mean it uh, seriously. This is also the reason why FPNA tools do feel and smell like a spreadsheet. Many, many cases, right? You see those boxes and stuff. It's, it's that's what people want to expect. But if you look into the average commercial leader, they don't actually feel at home in spreadsheets. Uh, you know, the, the the typical thing is, you know, VP sales, VP marketing, CRO. They're not going to log into your spreadsheet into your big model with the different sheets that you have there and and get anything out of it. Very much, uh, you know, opposed to a CFO actually. Um, and wouldn't you want to have those folks actually in there? Wouldn't you want to have them understand the model, see what they can tweak and, you know, see what maybe has an impact and actually use that tool instead of having that being filtered through, you know, your RevOps analysts and your FPNA folks, which, you know, I don't want to take away from that, but basically kind of there is a bit of, you know, loss in translation, right? And and that is actually kind of a gap that we think is um, is existing kind of in a lot of places, by the way, um, and uh, and is taking some away from from your revenue potential. So is it is the use case here for using a CRM system? We have a lot of data in the CRM system, pipeline opportunities, leads. Is it is it analyzing that data and forecasting? Is it more on the forecasting piece? Tell me a little bit more yeah. about how, say, a VP of sales would use this, and then how a CFO would interact with this tool. Yeah. So what we're doing is um, we're taking the full revenue engine, and for us that means everything between traffic and churn, so the whole thing. So it's not only around opportunity forecasting or something like that. It's the whole thing. We're modeling out your complete revenue engine. We're pulling that from your whole go-to-market stack. It might be Google Analytics. It might be Marketo. It might be Salesforce. It might be Chargebee or whatever. Um, and then, you know, we're basically allowing you to slice and dice that into your different segments, your different markets, your different inbound, outbound, all of those different motions. And the reason why you want to slice and dice it like this is because the, the buying behavior is just different, right? And inbound in the US will smell and behave differently than an outbound uh, that you're doing maybe in the German speaking region, right? And and having that complexity level and that level of detail is pretty important because the more granular you go, the more accountability you can drive with those people leading those uh, go-to-market functions, right? Because otherwise you sometimes have this, ah, you know, this target wasn't right to begin with anyway, kind of those conversations. And, you know, I'm really calmed on uh, my comp plan and there's a revenue number in there. Uh, and basically kind of building this out, making this clearer and uh, and more succinct for everyone in go-to-market, right? That's actually how we're kind of going about it. Sorry, you have a, okay. I think you have a question there. 
Yeah, I was going to. So, yeah, modeling your entire revenue engine. So from top of that funnel, whether it's website traffic leads, where that's coming from, modeling it from really you saying start to finish to then revenue coming in the door, it sounds like. And then that's it. Enhancing the understanding of that and enhancing what's happening in the entire revenue engine. And of course, uh, making sure our, our quarter commit number is accurate, it sounds like as well. No, and I mean, so so this is one piece, right? And then the, um, you know, the what you can use this thing for is basically, you know, very, very strong data-driven bottom-up revenue planning, right? So really not, you know, it will be guided by where are we going? Sure, kind of there's a top-down component to it, to it right? But it's also, okay, what are the things we actually will be doing? We will be hiring some people. We will execute some projects. We will have some campaigns. You know, those are all the things you will be doing and running it through the revenue engine. Then, you know, ideally gives you a very clear picture where are you going to end up from the bottom up, right? And and once you have built something like that, uh, you're basically creating an extremely tangible benchmark uh, for your organization when you then go through that year, right? It will be very clear um, since everything is mapped out, there's a target for everything. Um, it will be very clear uh, where something is going off track. Uh, so you immediately understand, okay, there is, you know, MQL conversion to op or something like that. It's it's down in North America. Why is that? Who owns that? Joe owns that. Okay, Joe, tell me why is that dropping? Oh, you know, it's because we suddenly put in the white papers into the MQL. Whatever it's going to be, right? Um, and then instead of uh, looking at this at the QBR, looking back and, you know, doing an autopsy on on the corpse, so to speak, you basically kind of see immediately, hey, this is popping up while it's happening. And we can jump on it and we can course correct immediately, right? And having that visibility, having that, you know, sometimes we say this digital twin of your revenue engine um, and being able to share that and poke at it and try and test and see and and create accountability and transparency around it, um, that, that helps you to be simply, I mean, at the end of the day, sure, it helps you to um, be, uh, you know, probably hit your revenue targets in a, in a more uh, confident fashion, but it also helps you to be uh, quite a bit more efficient, right? So understanding where something is going wrong, not having that, you know, waste uh, that you otherwise see in the GTM uh, happen actually and kind of jump on it and course correct. And yeah, I appreciate that explanation. One more product question here. So who's the champion of this? Does it sit in sales? Does sales own this application? Is it joint with the CFO? Who actually is the, the champion of the product? The champion of the product is revenue operations. Um, okay. And and we see that um, uh, we see that uh, the the one person that is the main beneficiary um, is the CRO. Yeah? It's usually not the person owning one silo, but it's owning the revenue engine end to end. I think coming out of this, then the secondary beneficiary are the different silo leaders that have clarity on what are my targets specifically. Uh, how how do the dots connect, especially for marketing? You know, how does that actually kind of work down funnel and so forth? Um, but it's it's really for you know uh, revenue operations to own and manage and set up, and for the CRO to you know sleep a little bit better at night. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Definitely, I'm, the CFO is probably listening would would endorse a product like this. So important to have visibility into the revenue engine. So what year did you found Growblox? We founded it uh, in 2021. Uh, so this is, uh, we've been operating for one and a half years now. We we did our pre-seed in uh, October 21. That's right. Okay. And then where are you guys located? Do you have a headquarters? Or are you remote? No, we're here. Uh, so we're kind of a modern organization, but we basically chose because I guess most of us are old school. We have an office here, downtown Copenhagen, 
Uh, it's wonderful besides the weather. Um, and we basically have 80%, 90% of our staff is in the office. So it's like a loose, very loose work from home kind of policy. And then we have um, a small handful of folks um, that are uh, located outside of Denmark. Okay. Uh, and then what's your current team size? We have 30 people. Now we're kind of still early on, small team uh, mm -hmm. working on this thing. Okay. And then anything you want to share around your revenue range or ARR range right now? We're before a million. Okay. Right. So okay. we're still sub a million. Um, that's kind of the range that we're kind of at. Okay. Sounds good. So yeah, tell me, it's interesting a little bit about your go-to-market motion because you're selling into sales. Uh, so how does your go-to-market work? Work, you know, is it yeah. is it outbound? Is it SEO inbound? Tell us a little about how you're finding these RevOps leaders. No, absolutely. So I think the the first realization is when you are building something that is, uh, you know, no one is Googling uh, you know, revenue engine or managing it or looking for that specific thing, right? So Google ads out the window, you can't use that. Um, so what are you going to do next? Well, you're going to turn to more demand generation tactics, um, which really are in this case, uh, educational for revenue operations leaders. Um, that's how we get a lot of leads. I've got a, a lot of eyeballs also on us. Um, and then the other piece is good old outbound, you know, calling into organizations and doing that. And it's, um, if you do it right, I mean, it is a it is a demand gen function, right? Kind of going out of the of the uh, organization and you know tapping someone on the shoulder and saying, "Hey, don't you have that problem?" And you know, haven't haven't you been thinking if there's a solution for that? And obviously, you know, once we get to this wonderful land of there's a category and it's established, and people are like, "Hey, you really need to manage your revenue engine better because of those wonderful reasons." Um, then you will start seeing people going on Google and uh, either putting in growblocks.com or putting in, you know, uh, whatever we're going to end up calling this, uh, this category. Um, uh, and, and then you start having some more inbound around it. Right. And, and I think the last bit, uh, because we are very much on the educational end, which means we're producing a lot of high quality content. Uh, but also, uh, obviously then putting this on our blog and then Google indexes and we get some organic coming from this, but it's not the main point, right? We have a, the podcast, the revenue formula, happy to know everyone, you know, <laughs> jump on that if you wanted to. It's it's geared towards uh, RevOps and CROs, actually. Uh, but this is the kind of, um, this is our kind of go-to-market motion, right? Okay. Yeah, thanks for explaining that. And so you, you recently raised a seed round. How much capital have you raised to date now? It was 8 million, a bit more than 8 million euros. 8 million euros. And it looks like that seed round was 6 million euros? Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's right. And so what, uh, with 8 million raised in the 6 million euro seed round, what were the, the triggers or milestones that led you to that raise? Did you see something? Did you see traction, product market fit, you know, that yeah. said, hey, we're ready to raise 6 million uh, in seed? So I don't think, I don't think product market fit is the right word yet. I mean, we're not at the million uh, mark, which is kind of from externals usually seen as, you know, a very strong sign for PMF. Um, but what we did see is we basically started uh, selling from day one, right? Kind of, we founded the organization and then we had our first customer even before we were incorporated actually at that point. Um, and the way we delivered to them was, uh, I mean, with spreadsheets and slides, you know, that's, that's, we took this old way of doing it and we're basically kind of proving out the point, right? Are people interested in this? Is this an issue for, is this an issue for organization? Are they willing to pay money for that? And we got a lot of yeses there. We also got a lot of no's as well because it is it takes some while to to explain and make people understand, you know, how that is actually pretty crucial. Um, and uh, we saw, you know, quite some good traction on that. We started to uh, figure out the most 
difficult problems engineering wise to set something like this up because it's basically uh, you're basically creating a modeling engine right which can be very very complex and difficult and you need to keep it performant and so forth um and then we're basically kind of at the point where um hey i think there is something here um and this is this is not a you know for european standards it's a large seed round actually right so other folks are raising kind of an a on the, on the same same amount and I don't say that with um, glee. I say that with uh, fear, you know, <laughs> the expectations are just sitting somewhere else. Um, and uh, and basically our realization was like, hey, this is heavy enterprise software. We will need to add a lot of more engineering to kind of get this to the point where this um, is really valuable. Um, and this is where, by the way, most of our funding is also going is into product, right? Building out the product, our, our sales and marketing function are uh, in infancy, you know, if you will. Um, and uh, and that's that realization then then kind of brought it home for us to hey we need some more capital here right and and really the next milestone now is to prove product market fit to have a proper product which we actually launched two months ago uh, alongside with the uh, funding announcement that's you know that that's that was the idea kind of um, and um, uh, and uh, you know once we get as we get more folks on the product uh, that then is then product market fit right and. Then the next step on that was obviously, okay, uh, pro market fit achieved, great, but we are in good old boring Europe. Um, this game is going to be one stateside for sure, right? So then the next step really is um, raise an A uh, to, you know, this typical boots on the ground in the US and and then then kind of, uh, um, you know, conquer that market, right? So that's, that's mm-hmm. I think, the roadmap and that's how you need to think about it, I believe, especially when you're trying to sell to RevOps and CROs, which is still a new thing in Europe. Um, it's really the home turf, the home market needs to be the US. Yeah, I like that progression in the company. And with the 8 million euros raised to date in the 6 million seed round, any fundraising lessons that you'd like to share with other SaaS founders from that recent raise? Yeah. Um, well, you need to be lucky with timing. We actually raised the seed in June 22. Um, and basically the conversation in the board was, we announced it recently, but we raised it a little bit earlier. The conversation in the board was that um, we as an organization reached a, uh, a local maximum of traction and how it felt and the story we could tell. <clears throat> um, and we had the conversation that the market isn't at a local minimum or at a minimum, you know, let's see about that just yet, right? So that was kind of the consideration there. Um, and we then went out to raise because, you know, was it David Sachs said like, hey, you know, this is going to be for a while, you know, raise 24 months. So that's how we set this up. Um, we we knew we wanted 6 million because, I mean, some of that stuff is silly, obviously, right? You have 2 million, then needs to be six the next time. Um, but uh, the other piece is then also, okay, the, the plan we put forward was not, okay, let's jump to 50, 60 people and burn through this in 12 months. The plan we set forward was um, let's build something that carries us throughout twenty-four months, um, and that's kind of how we went about that. Um, I don't, I don't think I can give great funding advice in this current environment right now. I think it's really tough. I, I recently saw a chart that basically showed that uh, overall valuations isn't down; it's only ten percent down, but overall volume is down. And I'm like, but wait a minute, guys! I mean that that does mean valuations are down because the top percentile, you know, uh, only gets funded now um, and their valuations are deflated and the bottom percentile uh, basically is out. They don't get funded, right? So in the end, you do have a deflation of, of valuations here um, and, and navigating that, um, 
if you have the luxury is try not go to the market, but I don't think this adds any value to, to anyone mm -hmm. listening here. Yeah. So I like that philosophy that, you know, w when you're thinking about the seed that really thinking about a sustainable plan, not just burn through that really fast, but at least have something sustainable where you can kind of control your destiny a bit, you know, and, until that next raise. So yeah, yeah that absolutely. makes a lot of sense. And what, as a founder right now and where you are in your business, what metric or number do you just love that you love to manage with? Um, so this is uh, this is maybe my RevOps pass, but uh, or maybe it's not. I'm not sure. It's uh, opportunities created. It's very. Uh, it's you know. It's not. I, I try not look at burn. Otherwise, I will not be able to sleep at night. Um, I obviously have an expectation on where we need to land an ARR, but uh, this you know we're still at the early stage. It happens you know every other week or every week or something like this. Um, what can happen daily, and this is something that I just love managing through, is like a daily stuff that happens, you know, on the day to day, is opportunity creation, right? You can you can create a you can create a new deal every day, um, and that then also gives you the opportunity to drive. Um, I don't want to say pressure and accountability, but to drive expectations in the organization. Hey, you know, we haven't created much, you know, the last two days. When when are we catching up on that, right? And you can't really have that conversation when it's about deals closed. It's like, oh, you know, forecast and we're the vendor of choice, but it's going to take, you know, you can't really have a, a good conversation around that that is that is proactive in that sense. And um, and that's why I love, you know, opportunity creation. Uh, that's that's probably my top metric. Okay, I love that. So qualified opportunity creation. So yeah. Tony, really appreciate your time. To, yeah, of course, they've got to be qualified, just can't create yeah. any opportunity out yeah. there. Uh, so appreciate your time today and sharing your story. So what's next uh, for Growblox that's uh, that's coming up that's new and exciting? Um, well, I think I think we're generally very exciting kind of to begin with. Um, I think what we kind of built in step one is really a an awesome place for revenue operations to go and see the funnel end to end, you know, build this thing out and track everything. Uh, our next step is actually to add an analytics layer on top, right? Right now it's very RevOpsy and detailed and, uh, and maybe, you know, not for senior folks, um, but really the next step is to have a piece of analytics on there, kind of using the data that we already have, displaying that, adding your projection, adding your target line, uh, to basically kind of escape this BI situation where you have documented everything really nicely up until today, but there's very little about, you know, the future, right? And kind of adding that on top, I think will give another way of uh, folks interacting and dealing with uh, with the revenue management. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, yeah, so exciting time in revenue operations. So Tony, really appreciate your time today. So if, if listeners would like to learn more about Growblox, where should we send them online? Go to growblox.com. Um, and then the resources, you will see, you know, our podcast set up. We have a go-to-market live happening every other week. Uh, we have a revenue newsletter that you can sign up with. And obviously you can uh, watch the demo, we have a video online, or you can you can request a demo, you know. So that's that's how you learn a lot about it. And obviously last thing, you can uh, hit me up on LinkedIn and either follow me or connect. Uh, happy, happy to do either. Well, sounds great. So if you'd like to learn more, check out growblocks.com. And Tony, really appreciate you sharing your background and your story today. Thank you, Ben, for having me.